0: This is the Jay scott outdoors podcast on western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by gohunt.com insider research faster hunt more go to gohunt.com forward slash insider and join today i'm your host Jay scott and i live and breathe hunting and fishing spending half the year in the field experiencing god's creation i hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures Guys, I want to thank you for
1: supporting my podcast. I want to thank you for all the questions and the comments and the feedback that I get through my email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Every day that goes by, I get an email from one of you guys uh, requesting someone to be on the podcast and and asking me questions about something you heard on the podcast and things that you want me to cover. And uh, without your support, this podcast wouldn't be possible. And I just want to thank you for that. I also want to thank my two sponsors, uh, GoHunt.com Insider and DeadEyeOutfitters.com, uh, for their uh, support of this podcast. Uh, GoHunt.com Insider has been with me from the beginning, and uh, they've been an unbelievable sponsor. Um, they've been the GoHunt Insider has been giving away great hunts and great hunting gear. Um, and uh, this last month of October, they they have. Uh, Given away two coos deer hunts uh, in Sonora, Mexico with Dar Colburn and myself, uh, Colburn and Scott Outfitters. Uh, uh, this month, they're giving away 10 Kuyu packs. And um, I want to encourage you guys to go to their site, GoHunt.com. I want to encourage you guys to go sign up for the GoHunt.com Insider. Um, they've got a new filtering 2.0 system that they're about to release uh, that's going to be extremely helpful when applying in all the Western states. And uh, GoHunt.com Insider is a phenomenal resource. And I re- want to remind you guys, when you do sign up, click on the blue Join Now button and use the J. Scott promo code. And they will automatically send you a $50 Kuyu gift card uh, to use to buy some Kuyu gear. Uh, at GoHunt.com Insider, I can't say enough good things about what these guys have going on. And uh, they're really about to um, kind of... Uh, shock the world, so to speak, with what they're about to launch. So it's exciting stuff. I also want to thank DeadeyeOutfitters.com. Uh, these guys make, uh, awesome quality t-shirts, hats, and, and hoodies. And, uh, Chris Lacey, who's the artist behind all of the designs and logos is, uh, one of the most famous, uh, wildlife artists. Uh, he does all of the murals for Cabela's and, and, um, this is just high-quality stuff, and go check them out at DeadeyeOutfitters.com. Uh, you get a 10% discount on all uh, items purchased on the website if you use the J. Scott promo code. And uh, guys, uh, I want to continue to make this podcast free, uh, and uh, with these sponsors, I'm able to make it free to you guys, my listeners. I just want to thank you so much for your support, and uh, if, if, if my voice sounds a little bit down, uh, I actually on Parker's strip hunt, uh, Parker Colburn strip hunt, I got a bad cold and it turned into pneumonia. And, um, so I've, uh, been about, uh, six, seven days now of, uh, uh pretty tough going, but, uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel and, and, uh, the scouting for the desert bighorn sheep hunts is, is underway and, and, um, just, uh, a lot of great stuff still to come here in this fall 2015 season. So, guys, I want to encourage you to get out there. I want to encourage you to take a kid hunting and fishing. And I want to encourage you to to give it 110% on every outing, every scouting trip, every hunt, and make the best of it you can. Uh, life is short. You don't know when uh, your time is up. And um, just give it everything you've got. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have my hunting partner, Dar Colburn. Dar is also partners with me in our real estate business and in Colburn and Scott Outfitters. Um, I'm happy to have Dar on the podcast and he's had an unbelievable role here the last, uh, in the last 30 days with both his boys, Paul and Parker. And uh, both have been able to harvest unbelievable bucks. Dar, how you doing?
2: I'm great. How are you, man?
1: Uh, you know, I'm doing better today. Uh, I got sick on uh, Parker's hunt coming off the strip, and as you know, got home, and you were just telling me to rub a little dirt on it, and I'd be fine. I turned out I got pneumonia, and um, this is the first day I've kind of had my voice back in order to do some podcasting, so... Glad to have you on. I'm excited to talk about it's been a heck of a last thirty days, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, it's been quite the ride for sure. We've been we've been blessed in the Colburn household, that's for sure.
1: That's awesome. Um starting out, Dar, um I know we did a podcast interview a month ago or so and you were kind of alluding to the hunts coming up and what I wanna do is um go back over starting with Paul's hunt, uh your ten year old uh, this was going to be his first deer hunt. And I know that you and I had talked so much and you had made it very clear to me that it was very important that you wanted Paul to have a very good experience. Um, and you, you, you weren't necessarily concerned on the size of buck as much as a good situation where he could enjoy himself and, uh, come out with a buck and be successful. And, um, uh, uh against uh you, you know you 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 kind of uh spoiled that kid he went straight into uh this hunt and shot 121 inch deer would you have ever thought that that was going to happen
2: no not in my my wildest dreams not no
1: i and, and i guess for the record um you know you've shot three bucks that hover right there around you know 119 120 yourself and your youngest comes right out of the gate and shoots a buck bigger than bigger than you've ever shot. That had to be very rewarding.
2: It was, for sure. I was so happy for him. Um, yeah, it was just a dream come true. We had a, a, a great hunt, and, you know, it, it, the, the size of the buck is just a bonus, but we had we had a, just a great experience and fun, and, hunt and um, it was just amazing, for sure.
1: So tell me a little bit. I know that um, Paul drew a uh, over-the-counter general season Central Arizona deer tag, and um, y- you know, tell me your thoughts on putting him in for that hunt and what, what your thought process was going into it.
2: Well, actually, he he did not draw. This was a a tag signed over from my mom, his his grandma. Um, Paul was not able to draw, I put him, draw a tag. He, he put in for, um, a couple hunts, including juniors hunts, and, uh, and did not, was not able to draw a tag. So his, his grandma did just a, you know, a general season October white foot tag. So she signed it over to him, um, so that he could go and, uh, you know, it kind of was a, a perfect storm in, in my opinion for this year for the October hunts because we had some rain right before and and uh the temperatures cooled down so it was i would say unseasonably cool which um you know the the weather prior to the hunt kept those deer down and it cooled things off so i think uh i think we were we blessed with a, a a good you know good hunt good deer movement
1: yeah the conditions were great you know i was I had just gotten back from uh, 30 days of elk hunting, and um, I had made arrangements to go to California to watch my niece play volleyball. That was really the only weekend, and um, uh, I had already agreed with my wife that I was going to go, and, and um, then I realized, too, at this basically the same time that that was the same weekend as Paul's hunt, and it was really hard for me to uh, miss it. I was there for Parker's first year and, and I was sad that I missed it, but it was great getting updates from you. Um, tell me a little bit about, uh, the area that you decided to hunt as far as, um, what you did to prepare and, and I believe you went in scouting and, and, and such. and why did you pick a remote area to go to?
2: Well, I, I, knowing that there's a, you know, a plethora of tags on those early hunts. Um, The people are usually a problem. So I I didn't want to be in a foot race or a rat race with a bunch of people. So I decided, you know, prior to the hunt that, that uh, I wanted to backpack, uh, especially with little, little kids, you know, to give us a Not that we're going to backpack six, seven miles in. I just wanted to backpack in far enough that we were starting out hunting where most people were turning around and, you know, we weren't having to hike as far every day because we were already in there. And I thought, I thought the boys would be basically less worn out once we got in there and, and, uh, have more, in, a more enjoyable hunt. So, I had gone in, uh, the weekend before and tacked in, uh, six gallons of water for us. And it had seen some bucks, uh, one, one pretty nice one that I thought would be great to shoot uh and you know saw four or five other bucks so you know i knew there was plenty of bucks around to uh to try and locate once the hunt started
1: and did you have a specific number in mind or had paul talked about you know any type of buck or did he want to what what did paul want and what what were your expectations and what were his
2: i wanted him to just shoot a buck uh, his expectations were he wanted to beat his brother's first deer he wanted a bigger buck than his brother get shot <laughs> <laughs> so you know brotherly competition is pretty stiff to the family and uh, so he that was his goal i want to you know he wanted to beat beat his brother's first buck so
1: and and uh, parker's buck was what a 90s, 91 or 2 inch buck or something
2: yeah something like that something like that yeah. so
1: so, so I'm have, sure when he said that, you probably rolled your eyes and were thinking, oh, great, I got a couple of trophy hunters on my hands here.
2: Yeah, and, I, you know, I knew that would that, that would probably go down after we hunted for a day or two. And, you know, it, it, it's easy to say that, and then, you know, once you're out there and you're not, you know, usually seeing deer like that, sometimes your uh, expectations go down a little bit. So I was, I was thinking that would be the case, but he was pretty firm on you know, what he wanted.
1: I want to ask you about some of your gear. Um, you obviously had to take up all your own food and all your, you know, your backpacking uh, tent and, and, and all of your different uh, gear. Um, tell me a little bit about your prep there.
2: Well, I, like I said, I took the water in the weekend before. So that was a, uh, you know, quite a bit of weight. And we were in there about two and a half miles is where our base camp I was on the. A big ridge that basically gave us from camp would give us a really good view uh, to the north and south of several different canyons. So I just figured if the boys could carry their stuff and get into that spot, we wouldn't have to move around very far um, from there. So that was kind of my idea: was get up on this high ridge, you know, have a hard hard hike to start with, but once we got in there, um, you know, we, we wouldn't have to. To kill ourselves every day. We could glass a lot of country from where we were.
1: Um, like, um, did you take all lightweight sleeping bags and and thermarests, or what? What kind of air mattresses were you taking? What, what did yeah. you use?
2: Yeah, we had. Uh, I, I told the boys beforehand that they were each going to have to carry their own stuff. Um, so each each Parker went with us. who's thirteen, and then Paul uh, <laughs> is ten. So. They each carried their own sleeping bag, um, thermos, pad, sleep on, and, uh, then we split up like the, I believe the, Parker carried the tent, <clears throat> and, uh, Paul, I believe, carried the, the stove, and the steel for the stove. So, part, I, I believe we weighed Paul's pack, and it was 25 to 26 pounds, and then, Parker's was about a little over 30. Uh, now, then, keep in
1: I, mind, P- Paul only weighs probably what? Yeah, 90 he's probably,
2: pounds? Yeah, he's probably 70 pounds spoken wet. But he had a <laughs> <laughs> he had a pretty good load, but you know, I carried the gun. I carried my optic, squatting scope. Uh, I did carry Paul's tripod for him. And then Parker had his binos and tripod. So they each had there's a tripod also.
1: And uh, so they they both had trekking poles as well as you did as well. And and yep. um, so you guys, you got them out of school and uh, you made the ascent to camp?
2: Yeah, they actually had a half day of school. So I, I picked them up uh, at 12 and then we went home and basically the truck was loaded and uh, headed out and we started hiking at probably... That's probably about three thirty in the afternoon. I would I would guess, and it took us two to two and a half hours to get us up to where we were going to camp. So it wasn't it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't uh, you know it wasn't easy either.
1: Definitely. By the time you got there, you guys were you were ready to make camp and go to bed.
2: Yeah. Essentially, we we didn't even. I think I glassed a little bit right at dark and saw a, a couple deer but just enough time to get, get our tent set up, kind of get our stuff out of our packs and laid out, um, get a mountain house made. We, we did, uh, big one gallon Ziploc for each day of, uh, each day's food within a one gallon Ziploc. So we, you know, kind of showed them how to lay out your, your food for three days. So you know what you can eat each day. You don't eat it all at the beginning. Um, yeah, we, we made, uh, <clears throat> made mountain houses and, uh, to bed there wasn't much to do you know
1: so um you guys are basically camped up on a high ridge where in the morning all you have to do is basically walk left or walk right and you can see off the other side not on the road side kind of basically look your idea was to look into new country is that right
2: yeah we're looking in the country that there's not roads um not roads in and the other thing is the, the, where we were starting, um, most guys, even if they're back glassing, uh, aren't going to be able to see up far enough um, where we're starting. So, you know, with, with 15 power binoculars or even 30, uh, it's just a little bit too far to look, if that makes sense. I just kind of yeah. felt felt we were back in there out of in country that just doesn't get necessarily hunted as hard.
1: Whereas someone leaving the next morning before daylight, you're you're going to be camped about where they're played out by the time they finally get there, they're they're not wanting to walk another two hours up and across over into another basin. There, you're kind yeah. of at the extent of where day hunters are played out
2: exactly. at. Exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah. And so, um, Dart. When you said you hauled water up there, I wanted to ask you your advice for people on hauling water. Um, do you find it's better to take, you know, big two-and-a-half-gallon um, plastic uh, um, bottles, or are you taking one-gallon? What's kind of your plan of attack there?
2: Well, I had I had each. I had each of those. I had a, a two-and-a-half-gallon, if I remember right, one um, two one two and a half gallon of Square jugs with a little spout on them, and then I had three one-gallon jugs. And the, my experience, the the one-gallon jugs are a little bit heavier, but the, the plastic um, in some of those is a little more durable. I have had the two and a half gallon spring leak in my pack before, so you know it just depends how rough you're going to be on the on the water you know if you're riding in a ranger for an hour before you're hiking it might be better to get the 1 gallon 1 gallon jug
1: yeah one thing i think too about the 1 gallon jugs you and i have used them before where if from that camp if you're going to be going somewhere you could always throw a 1 gallon in with you and then exactly. move it up move it up the ridge and at least have some waters, you know, maybe a mile up the ridge where you don't have to come all the way back to camp if something were to happen.
2: Exactly, Yep. Yeah. And that that was definitely in my thought process as well. That's why I didn't do two of the two and a half galloners. I took some of the one galloners in case we wanted to bike out even even farther up the mountain.
1: And so, Dar, um, back when you were young in high school and um, hunting on your own at a very early age, uh, you did a lot of backpack hunts as well. So, um, you know, not much older than Parker, you were, you were going on your own with your friend backpacking as well. So it was almost like you were going back to the way you started hunting.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, there's just something about the, the experience when you're backpacking. Um, you know, you're just out away from it all and everything you have is on your back. It, it just, I don't know, it's a, it's a neat experience for sure. It, it, it adds something to the hunt. It's definitely not necessarily on, the, on every hunt, but sometimes, you know, I, I just felt that with so many tags and so much, uh, so much pressure, this would give us an opportunity to get away from it a little bit and hopefully have a, a better first-time experience.
1: So opening morning comes, the alarm goes off. Why don't you walk me through the day's events?
2: Yeah, so we got up. We had our uh, our oatmeal and, and raisins and uh, for breakfast, and we walked. Uh, it was probably three or 400 yards. We walked over to a, a point, started glassing, and uh, immediately, basically, right where I'd seen the, the pretty nice bus scouting, um, I think it was actually Parker glassed up the bucks that were with uh, the, the nice buck, glassed them all up, and there was uh, another group of hunters sitting down there um, looking at them. and And the bigger buck I'd seen was not with them. So, um,
1: and the it, bigger buck, bigger buck being 95, 95, maybe 100 inch type buck, correct. um Yeah, was not was not with that group of deer. So the bachelor uh, herd had broken up, or you, or or you at least had hadn't spotted the better buck.
2: Yeah, no, the funny thing is all four of the bucks, there's five bucks I saw the weekend before they were all together. And, uh, the same four bucks were together. I just couldn't never, uh, never see the bigger one. So I don't know if he was there and I just didn't see him or, uh, you know, he had gone off on his own. I'm not really sure, but those guys were looking at him and they ended up at kind of boogering them. Uh, so that was a little disheartening, you know. Here it is, first, you know, first light, and we're glassing up here, and there's uh, there's hunters down below, but you know that's how it goes on public land for sure.
1: So then you guys just kept glassing that morning. How did things unfold?
2: Yeah, so we kept we kept glassing, uh, moving back and forth on this this knob, mainly looking uh, looking to the north uh, of our camp, and uh, finally it was probably. 10:30, um, the guys we could see were were on a, across the canyon from us, and they had worked their way all the way up, pretty much to even with us almost. Um, so at that point, I figured, let's go back to the, our tent. Why don't we eat lunch, and then we'll look off the other side? And so that's what we did. It was a, uh, it's about it was about 10:30. We had seen I want to say we saw four bucks that morning and. I don't know a handful of those, and so about 10:30 we we walked back down to our tent, uh, grabbed a quick lunch, and uh, I think I think Paul was still eating lunch, and I walked over to the kind of the the edge, the rim by our camp, and started glassing and, and spotted some uh, mule deer bucks. And stuff and Parker came over and sat down, and he had him glass for more than a couple minutes and he said dad i got i got a deer you need to take a look at it looks like a buck and he was using 10 centaur binoculars so i panned over to where he's talking about and there's this giant looking buck bedded facing away from us on a kind of a more open slope and uh so i got my spotting scope on it and knew it was definitely a big one that was pretty uh pretty cool that that Parker glassed it up
1: pretty dang neat and so Parker was using your 10 power uh EL Swarovskis and you were using your 15s yep and um so you backpack but you did take your spotting scope in there what made you think what made you want to take your spotting scope even though you had to carry everything else on your back
2: I just every time I've not taken it I always just feel handicapped about it um just to really know what you're looking at I just really like to to know. Um, so I, I don't know, I just it's a ton of weight but I just I like I like looking at what I'm I'm gonna go after or know what I'm going after.
1: So the distance of this buck that, that Parker spotted, how far away roughly was it when, when you first saw it, when he sub spotted it and showed it to you?
2: So I'm gonna say it was across a pretty big big canyon and it was probably a thousand to twelve hundred yards. Uh, when
1: you first saw it with your fifteens, did you know immediately that it was, you know, a hundred inch plus type uh, yeah. buck?
2: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And yeah. And then I looked at it through the spotting scope and it was facing away, but I knew it had good width, lock point, tall point, you know, I i told Parker it was a one ten to one fifteen buck. Um and I actually was looking back on my, my text messages. I, I tried to text you. It did not go through, but I texted exactly that. Parker just it a 110 to 115. We're, we're on the move, but it, it didn't go through.
1: Yeah. So. Um. I want to go back to something uh, that I think is interesting. It, it seems when you start getting into that big buck, you know, 110-plus-inch category with coups, that, You can tell the frame and you can tell usually, I mean, out to a pretty good distance, you know, I would say, you know, close to a mile, I can usually tell if the buck's, you know, 110 in that category. What would you say about that?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I haven't seen too many 110 bucks that that I think look small. Yeah. Yeah. usually, Usually a big buck looks big and he definitely looks big.
1: So what was the plan then?
2: So it was a, across this really pretty big canyon that, that Paul and I were going to go have to cross. And there was only really one one point to shoot from uh, that would be close enough. So I left Parker uh, with, with the radio and his stuff. So he stayed there watching the bus. And then I took Paul and told him, don't even take your backpack. Just go light so you can, you know, get across there. So he took, I believe, just this trekking pole, and I carried the gun and my pack, and we crossed over this big canyon, and the wind was good. Everything was great. Crossed up there, got to the knob I uh, I wanted to get to to shoot from, and as I'm taking my pack off, I feel the wind hit me in the back of the head, and I look up, and the buff is up and
1: flagging going up the hill so that's that's um that's a feeling that no coos deer hunter we've all been there but it's definitely not the position that you ever want to be in um let's take a quick break here here from our sponsors and then i want to hear how this unfolds
0: guys gohunt.com insider is the title sponsor of this podcast get everything you need in one spot join insider today Find and plan your hunts more effectively than ever. Complete state coverage. See detailed information for every unit, every species, every hunt. Interactive maps. Quickly find hunts that meet your exact search criteria and explore them easily. Strategy articles. Learn new things and find hidden opportunities with exclusive articles. Species breakdowns. Top trophy units are hiding in plain sight. Find them, with our statistics and historical data. Another great thing about GoHunt.com Insider is they have monthly giveaways that are worth 100,000 plus a year. Each month you will automatically be entered to win gear tags and hunts, that is if you're an Insider member. Past prizes include a $22,000 doll sheep hunt, uh, three Red Rock precision rifles with the $21,000 value, Uh, Five Zeiss Conquest HD binoculars with a $7,500 value. Not to mention, this past July, they gave away four hunts. An antelope hunt, two elk hunts, and a mule deer hunt. Join Insider today and get a $50 Kuyu gift card. All you have to do is go to GoHunt.com forward slash Insider. Click on the blue Join Now button. Use the promo code JSCOTT at checkout. And GoHunt.com will send you a $50 Kuyu gift card. I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider for being the title sponsor of this podcast.
1: So Dar, you guys have moved into shooting position or dang near close to it. And you're trying to acquire the deer and the deer is, he has winded you and he's going away. He's, he's leaving the country.
2: Yeah. So I'm. how close
1: were you roughly to the deer?
2: I would say we were 250 to 300 yards and I was literally taking my pack off when the wind switched. So I did get my pack off. I already had my binos out on the tripod. I got the pack set down, you know, with the gun and Paul laid down and, um, the buck actually paused at, I want to say 450 yards, uh, about to go over the top of the mountain. And I I just didn't want him to shoot that far. and, And those, you know, those conditions, so I'm, I told him to wait. We'll, you know, we'll try and find it again. But the buck ended up basically just going straight away and went up over the top, top of this mountain. And luckily, Parker was able to keep an eye on it. When it spooked, he, he stayed on it, um, and watched it go up over the top of the mountain. And could see it went into a little cut um, where there's some thicker, thicker brush. And he he said, you know, Dad. It never came out. It never came out. I'm pretty sure it's still in there. So, Paul and I had to pack up and cross another big canyon and, uh, we, we did. We packed up, crossed the canyon and another canyon and, uh, went up backside of a ridge and kind of got, the buck had gone over the top and was in, in kind of a, on the backside of a mountain. It was a, an east facing slope. So I, I kind of had the feeling that being an October hunt, that deer, you know, that, that side of the canyon was going to be shaded in the afternoon, and he probably just went up over the top of the bed down in there. And that's kind of what Parker told me. He thought it went in there I, and bedded.
1: And I want to go back to what, well, a couple things here. Uh, first is you and I typically try and never get inside of 300 yards of a deer that we want to kill it sounds like you were in that two, 250 to 275, under 300 yards, and it's amazing how when you get inside that zone, lots of bad things can happen. Do you think he heard you, or do you think he winded you?
2: No, I guarantee you he winded me. There's no way he heard us. There, we came up the backside of a knob that um, there's just no way he would have heard us or seen us. It, it, but, I, I, I mean, I, the wind definitely world and hit me right in the back of the neck
1: so, so he winded you and definitely. then a, another thing i want to point out is so when the buck was leaving uh once parker said he had you know he had eyes on him what did you tell parker and what is a good lesson for people to learn if they haven't already about that exact situation
2: well i didn't have to tell him much because he's hunted with me enough that he's, he's i've got him trained pretty good I did tell him, don't take your eyes off of him and stay on him. And he did. He did it. I mean, I was pretty proud of him. He did an amazing job keeping track of him and watching where he went.
1: I think something important to note when you say don't take your eye off him, and Dar and I have hunted together for years, and so we understand when 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 I'm in the situation that Dar's in and Dar's up on the ridge and he's watching a buck that I've spooked, or I'm watching a buck that he spooked when, when we say don't take your eyes off them, that doesn't mean, you know, you watch them and, Oh, you're thirsty and you, you know, you get some water out of your pack and, Oh, Oh, by the way, you're hungry. I need to, you know, it's time to eat and I got to take a leak. So I got to get up in that situation. We have found that being a good hunting partner, when it, when, when we say do not take your eye off a buck, that means do not take your eye off the buck for any reason, yeah. and I, I think it's so important to, to just really drive that home that if you are going to to kill these deer efficiently, that means you do not take your eye off the buck for any reason. If you have to, you know, take a leak down the, you know, through your tripod on your knees, whatever you got to do. Uh, if you've got to get a drink, you keep your eyes in your in your binos and you reach for your water, but you do not leave your post, you do not leave your position, and you do not leave the buck.
2: Yep, definitely, definitely.
1: Okay, so Parker's got the buck, and you guys are repositioning over uh, in, uh, onto another ridge, which is going to give you a vantage across the canyon to to shoot where the deer's at?
2: Correct, yeah, so we're going up the backside of a ridge where where the deer can't see us, and we're going to top out straight across the canyon from them, level with them, when, if, if that makes sense. When
1: when you're in that situation, when you're about to top out, in and you're about to shoot, tell walk me through the process of how you did it and what you do in that situation.
2: Well, I just want to clarify something too. Parker had seen a buck go into a little thicket, but he he could not see the buck, but he. He told me several times, I, I just, yeah, I don't think the buck came out. I, I watched his head started to come out, and then it went back in, and I think he's in there bedded. So he didn't, didn't have the buck, but, uh, you know, we were pretty sure the time of day, you know, being 11 o'clock, 11.30, and, you know, what had happened that he had just gone in there and bedded down. So we were fairly confident he was still in there. Uh, and I, th- I, think,
1: I think what's important to add is in that situation, when you see a thicket where a buck's bedded, uh, it is important to keep your binos, keep that in the center of your binos, and then be watching the, the air, what I call the air around the thicket or the open areas. Anywhere where that buck can get out, you want to be able to watch. And sometimes it means kind of floating your binoculars and kind of scanning left, right, up, down, left, right, up, down, keeping the thicket in your binos. But you do not want that deer to squirt out under any circumstances, so you have to cover all of the exits out of that thicket.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, and Parker was, you know, he was on the thicket and and watching, you know, to make sure nothing came out. So basically we went up the back side of the ridge just before we were going to top out. I had, uh, I had the gun ready. Uh, I, I loaded one in the chamber, which I usually, you know, I never carry the gun with one a bullet in the chamber. I always have, you know, there's some in the magazine, but never one in the chamber. So we put one in the chamber. Uh, I had my binos out on the tripod, and I had uh, a couple jackets out as well so I could, uh, could build the rest, you know, for Paul. So we, we eased up to where... I could kind of see where the buck had gone over and, you know, kneeled down and uh, started glassing with the binos and immediately glassed up the doe up feeding kind of below where, where Parker had said the buck was. And so I felt fairly confident that if, if the buck had blown through there running that, you know, this doe wouldn't, wouldn't be up feeding or, or be in there. So I just started glassing around where Parker had seen him and actually picked the buck up uh,
1: laying there bedded. And so, then so you built the rest?
2: Yeah, so I, once I glassed the buck up, we, we moved up just a little bit farther to where we had nothing in between us and, and the buck, so Paul could shoot straight across the canyon. And um, I built the first, first rest with the, the backpack, the bipod down on the front of the gun, um, the backpack underneath the back of the gun and some jacket stuff and had Paul find him in the and stuff. And he, he told me that, uh, you know, it just wasn't super steady. It wasn't steady enough. So I said, okay, you know, no problem. So we, we actually gathered up the stuff and we moved over about 10 yards to a kind of a little rock pile that had a flat rock. And we, I built another one and got it set up and, and he told me he was real steady. At that point, so
1: Dar, uh, when you're building those rests, what are you looking for when you're building those rests for either you to shoot or a client or your son
2: Well, with the the way I have the, the gun set up is there's a, a Harris bipod. I think it's like a nine inch or whatever bipod on the front of the gun, and I like to put that down in the front and then have a, a pack or jacket underneath the back of the gun so that it it's supported back there so that you're not having to hold the gun up. You know, you're, it's resting on something that supporting the the butt end of the gun that makes it really steady.
1: So in other words, if you were to take your hands off of the gun with the jackets and such, you could, in in essence, you could take your, not even touching the gun and the crosshairs still be right on the buck.
2: Yeah. Ideally, that's what you want for sure. Okay. And, and, and I, I, one thing I did prior to the this hunt is I, I had the boys, my boys, out shooting a lot. I mean, they probably shot two to three hundred rounds um, out of their guns out to you know five or six hundred yards. We shot quite a few times, and they were pretty comfortable, uh, you know, shooting that far. And uh, I, you know, b- before before Paul's hunt too, he and I sat down with a, a couple of magazines magazine magazines and uh, a sharpie and we would go through the magazine and there'd be a picture of a deer and I would make him put a black dot you know where he would, where he would want to hold the crop there. so I, I felt he had a pretty good grasp of you know deer anatomy and where where he needed to hold so I got the rest it was 330 yards straight you know straight across the canyon not not uphill or downhill just straight shot um he was shooting the off the, I believe, the V5, three and a half to eighteen with the Outdoorsman ballistic turret on there. So we set it to three thirty, and the buck was laying there. And uh,
1: what was, gun was he shooting?
2: Uh, he was shooting a 6.5 Creedmoor with a 130 grain Knobler Accubond bullet. So we had it sitting there, and the beer had a uh, it was kinda of weird. The way he was bedded, his his back leg was sticking straight out forward and so his hoof was basically like right below his heart, if that makes sense, his back hoof. So but we couldn't see I couldn't really see his front leg or shoulder at all. I don't just the way he was bedded. So we Paul and I talked about holding even with the hoof but halfway up the body and uh so he he did that and then i actually unloaded the gun and had him uh had him dry fire four or five times on the buck take you know click one off on it um with nothing in the gun so he could practice you know squeezing the trigger so we did that four or five times and he he told me it was really steady and so i'm like okay well we probably just wait for him to stand up, give us a good shot. And Paul looks right at me and says, "I'm really steady, and I don't think I can be that patient. I think I can, I can shoot him now." Thought, all right, well, let's try it. If you're really steady, let's, you know, go ahead and I'll put one in, and you can squeeze it off. And uh, so I loaded the gun and asked him again, "Are you really steady?" "Yes, really steady." And uh, so. He squeezed one off and the buck never even moved. It just basically just rolled him over right in his bed. It was pretty, pretty
1: awesome. That is unbelievable. Um, Just rolled him in his bed.
2: Yeah, just never even got up. He just rolled over backwards, just sideways, you know, just rolled flat over. It was unreal.
1: Wow. and you didn't at that point you knew it was a big buck you really weren't looking at the antlers to you know really let it set in at that point
2: no and and you know i looked at him in the spotting scope bedded uh facing away from me at you know 1200 yards or whatever it was initially but once i saw what you know what it was i just i never looked at him again really um within and, and then when i was on the stock with fall you know my main focus was to, to get Get in position, situated, and you know, it, it really it didn't matter. You know what I mean? I just yeah, it was. A, it.
1: You already decided to shoot it, so it didn't matter yeah. what it was. Exactly. I'm looking at my text messages. Friday, October 23rd at 1:39 p.m. Paul just hammered a good buck. I respond, "Awesome." Is it dead? Dar responds, "He rolled him in his bed at 3:30, and I can still see his head trying to move, but he can't get up." He got him. Yeah. How big? How big, I asked. He says, looked good. My impression was well over 100 inches. Parker glassed him up, bedded at 1030. And yeah. then that was the longest wait. I I waited and waited and waited and waited. Finally, I couldn't help it. I text back, did you get him? And you had already been over to the buck. Yes, he's a monster. Yeah. Uh, so that, what an unbelievable um, account of, of a kid's first hunt and rolled him in his bed at 330 yards. I think that just goes to show that if you really train and you really practice and you really get a good rest and you do everything, uh, you know, systematically and, and that, that in, you know, I don't want to say anybody can do it, but literally – you basically trained Paul and it worked perfect.
2: Yeah, I mean it, it definitely practice makes perfect and, and he needed the gun, he felt comfortable shooting that far. Um he was he, he was able to tell me he's steady, you know, and he can he can make the shot. Um so I, I felt pretty proud that he you know, he made a good shot and just took one shot and got him. Uh, but it also you know, it goes back to when, when you're hunting with kids you really need a controlled situation you need that you know you need to be able to have a rest you need to get them on a you know a bipod in a backpack where they're super solid steady so they can be successful because if he would have taken that shot at 450 yards rushed i mean he wouldn't have got it
1: so yeah and what an unbelievable buck i mean he's he's a He's basically a mainframe four by four, right? With, with extras on both sides and, you know, big, long eye guards, real heavy, heavy. Um, You let me score the buck. You had already scored the buck. I scored the buck at 121 inches. Um, Just an unbelievable buck. You know, if it would have been his 50th coos deer buck, it would be an unbelievable buck. Yeah, exactly. And it's crazy that it's his first buck.
2: Yeah, so... We, when we we had to cross that pretty big canyon to get over to him and uh, i i once we did Paul picked him up and i was i just told him Paul you have no idea what you just did you know you don't understand what you just did I was so proud of him and we called parker on the radio and because I told him he he was not to to uh start hiking over to us so we got to the bus. um and so he, he
1: why is that Dark?
2: I just didn't want, you know, we've, we've had situations where you think something's dead and you get over there and it's not there. Um, it's best to keep always keep someone with eyes on it until till you get it for sure. Uh, I,
1: I think it's important to note that you and I, uh, unless we can see the deer, it's out in the open or there's a real distinct tree. If someone's watching, always keep someone watching. And it's important not only if the, if the buck were to get up, uh, but it's also important when you when the hunter gets and the guide gets over to uh, in that area. A lot of times, everything looks the same. I think it's important to note that you really want to uh, mark uh, with your landmarks, either by certain big trees or big rocks, uh, where your buck is and uh, and dark and weigh in on this. I like to mark things, you know, to the left and to the right or up and down, so that. You know, not just one landmark. I like to say it's between this and this so that you can go, once you get over there, you can say, okay, here's the pine tree and here's the ocotillo or, or you know, something like that. Or here's the big rock and here's the, you know, here's the mesquite and know that that buck is somewhere in between there. I think marking uh, your animal when it's down and, and quite honestly, marking your animal when you're making your stock, uh, if you have to leave your position, so that when you get to where you're going to shoot from, you can immediately go to your landmark, um, and that's just a tip I'd throw out there.
2: Definitely, and, and it's amazing. Even when you do take landmarks and mark stuff, you get over there, and it still looks different, and you still have a hard time. So it's definitely important to, to uh, know your surroundings before you charge off after something. So, yeah. it's, so it's, Parker it's,
1: gets up there to you, um, And tell me what from there what happened? Yeah,
2: so it took Parker like probably an hour to get over to us um, because he had to cross a pretty big canyon. And uh, so so he got over there, and we you know we had taken some pictures and got it all cut up, and I ended up attacked it out. Um, Parker brought some water and stuff, and so we hiked started hiking back to camp, and we didn't. Didn't get back to camp until, I don't know, it was probably 30 minutes after after dark that night with the buck and the meat and everything. So it was, uh, we were, needless to say, we were tired. Uh, we had our mountain houses for dinner, and um, luckily it was really cool out. So I, I had laid all the meat out and uh, and had boned it all out and laid it out on, on uh, some rocks to cool overnight. And we slept, slept good that night, enjoyed, the, you know, our time on the mountain, the adventure, and then got up uh, got up the next morning and packed the meat up and packed our camp up and, uh, and hiked out.
1: That's awesome. What an incredible experience to share with both of your boys. I know that'll be something that you guys will talk about for a long, long time. And I want to congratulate you on... Um, you know, teaching them right and and getting them out hunting. I know you've always said it was very important to you that your dad got you out there hunting, and and um so that you know you're passing it on to your kids, and I'm sure they'll pass it on to theirs. And and I just want to commend you on that.
2: Definitely, I appreciate it. And you know what? Uh, one of the, the biggest takeaways from this hunt for me was, you know, it it just it can happen. You just never know. I mean, this is a general season tag that you know, you can draw pretty much any year. I'd never seen the buck before. I mean, it's not like I had him pegged or anything. I'd never seen the buck before, just went into an area I thought looked good and, you know, got lucky and just things worked out, you know, so it can happen.
1: That's awesome, buddy. I can't wait on the next episode to talk to you about, uh, the the, uh, second part of the story with, uh, Parker Colburn, your uh, 13-year-old, drew an Arizona strip tag, Unit 13B, and um, you hired uh, Breck Bundy of MDA Outfitters, and uh, we went up there and had an unbelievable experience and hunt, and uh, Parker shot an old, you know, definitely what you would call a strip buck, and um, so that's going to make a great episode. I want to thank you for uh... being on with us and sharing, sharing your story and sharing your knowledge and um... uh... I, I wanted to uh... finish this episode uh... and remind everybody that dar and i are in the real estate business and uh, dar handles most all of uh... the home acquisitions uh... from our team uh... dar how's the market look out there
2: the market's pretty good um, it's not on fire but uh... you know it, it's been pretty good typically you know, we're going into the holiday season, so typically we have a little bit of a slowdown from now through usually through the first part of January, then it'll pick back up again.
1: I know you've got uh, several things in escrow and several things cooking, and I would tell the listeners out there that if they're interested in buying or selling a home or, or a piece of property, uh, to give Dar and I a call, and, and um, we will help you the best way we can. And um, we've been doing real estate a long time. You know, Dara, it's pretty interesting. I've uh, been doing some real estate renewal hours every two years. We have to take uh, 24 hours of renewal, and um, it's uh, kind of crazy. But uh, um, I'm I'm I'll be 18 years uh, here in in uh, real estate uh, at the end of this month.
2: Wow, that's crazy! Congrats! Yeah, you you got me in into
1: it uh i want to say it was 2000 or 2001
2: something like that yeah you have been doing it time flies time
1: right that's right um uh dar i want to thank you for being on and um i just uh enjoy hunting with you it's been a pleasure having you be my hunting partner and business partner and i look forward to the next episode when we talk about parker's buck and congrats again on paul's buck
2: Thanks, man, and uh, look forward to talking to you about Parker's, and thanks for having me on. All
1: right, buddy. Take care. All right.